0: Kia ora e te and welcome to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. Join us as we delve into personal stories about inspirational career journeys for people in design and construction as you too build your own story.
1: My name is Guy Marriage. I'm an architect and a lecturer and you might have even been taught by me if you're at the architecture school otherwise you might have run into me on a building site somewhere around town. But today I have with me uh, two people, Simone Wright who's a wonderful young woman who's going to be telling us about her tale of how she got into the construction industry and Matamoana Nuku who has uh, was a student of mine once many years ago and is now uh, quite a well-respected figure in the <laughs> architecture field here in Wellington. I um, I'll start off with you Simone. Um, maybe if you could just tell us what got you into a career in architecture and construction.
2: Yeah, I mean my um, career is a little bit different. So I uh, obviously grew up in South Africa, hence the accent you can hear along the way. And I ended up studying architecture back there um, as a Bachelor's of Architecture. So me getting into the industry, my dad's a civil, civil engineer, and um, I ended up wanting to go actually into medicine, and then started doing engineering, graphic design at school. Um, decided that technical drawing was where I wanted to be, um, and actually just more going into architecture essentially was the end goal for me. That was the journey down the way. Um, now I'm actually our business support manager here at Design Group Stapleton Elliot. so I've gone from architect all the way across to still working in the industry, um, but just down a bit of a different path.
1: Fantastic. And do you know how the path in South Africa is different from the path in New Zealand, or is it pretty much the same?
2: It's almost very similar. Um, I feel like when I was back there, so uh, when I left school about 10 years ago, um, and essentially the path was very similar, but I think there was a bit more, when I worked in a small company, there was a bit more of, um, I suppose, trust, and you're doing a bit more of everything. Uh, So when I was on site, I would work, uh, when I was in my small company, I would work from um, anything from like uh, door schedules, you know, to running site meetings, to being pretty much the only um, architect on site at the time. And so it's really become a a long journey for me to get to this place. Uh, When I left South Africa, I pretty much was done with the industry. I never wanted to be an architecture again. And then when I came here, I ended up interviewing at DGSE. And it just kind of, I think they were quite shocked that I'd had a bit of an architectural background, but wanted to work more in an administration and office management um, and more the business side of the company. So, yeah, that's kind of where I've ended up now.
1: Great. <laughs> right. Okay. That's a, bit, a very good explanation. Um, Marlo, uh, Matamoana, I wonder if you could tell us about your journey because I
0: suspect it's slightly different. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Guys. As guys mentioned, uh, my name is Matamwana Nuku. Um, I hail from uh, the mighty Hāutu in, in Tongatapu, as well as uh, Nukunuku, o kolotao ko as the land where my uh, people are from. Um, I guess, uh, to answer your, your question, um, guy, there's a, there's a multitude of factors and I often uh, reflect back to, to why why architecture. I think um, many a times um, kind of growing up there were sort of hints in my life where I was obviously really interested in the way that um, you know, in, in the way that our, our uh, design environments are sort of designed um, but not necessarily knowing that that was you know, an architectural sort of field or background um, I grew up uh, in, in Tawa, uh, here in Wellington, um, in what was Housing New Zealand, a little three-bedroom home with, you know, at times I think nine to, to ten people living in the, the same whale or the same house and, you know, often I'd go to school and, you know, I'd uh, go to school's uh, friends' houses after school and, you know, they lived in these, uh, a lot what was a lot bigger uh, houses than, than me and I would often think to myself, I was like, you know, why is it that those people get, you know, that they've got their own room, whereas I share a room with my, my brother and my two uncles, for example. Um, so I guess that that was, you know, part of my sort of curiosity um, into, into the, uh, the housing industry. Um, and then kind of like fast forward into sort of uh, high school, I think I want to um, uh, attribute probably my, my um, interest was through uh, another architect, Whāsa uh, Lele Um, who at the time was my volleyball coach in high school. Um, He was a great volleyball player, and um, he would often pick my brother and I up in the morning and take us to training, and then we'd have training after school. And on the way home, he'd stop by, um, he was working up at Atfields um, at the time. So I remember at the time, going into the studio, I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, you know, I, at the time, really loved design, was really into it, did you know art um, and graphics all through high school, and then, take us through the studio and sort of show us around and that kind of piqued my interest. And then sort of lastly, I guess, to sort of bring that right around and to preface, you know, I didn't know what architecture was and probably a lot of Pacific and Māori don't know that, you know, that there are things such as architects um, and they design houses. I think often it's the uh, misconception is that the builder does it all. And so um, when I finished high school, I had the opportunity to go to Europe uh, for a gap year and traveled um, uh, around uh, a lot of uh, the European countries and, and seeing some of the architecture in, in in the flesh I think that really confirmed um, for me at least you know a, a career in architecture or at least to study architecture
1: oh what a fantastic introduction yeah. that's one of the aspects that we, we keep on trying to do with the school we keep on saying we need more Pacifica students and we keep on failing to connect with them mm. and I think that you you know you you put the nail Nail on the head. You hit the nail on the <laughs> head, which is that you know you really need that personal connection, mm. and that introduction from Farzad Ali mm. really brought you along. Mm. So we're going to rely on you to bring other yeah. young mm. Pacifica mm. Um, into the school as well. Sure. Um, um, you know because we really need them at the school because the the community needs them back in the workforce mm. as architects. So yeah. it's a it's a really
0: crucial part in keeping that sort of um, continuation going yeah. forward. Uh, yeah. Exactly, and, and like a lot of, you know, I, I tend to do a lot of um, sort of community outreaches for, for Victoria um, and other um, sort of smaller sort of community groups and um, what I often sort of harp on about is that they, you know, a lot of our people have the skill innately in them, you know, we're great storytellers um, and part of architecture is to tell a, to tell a story mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the skills are already there, you know, there's, you know, great, great designers in there, but it's just kind of showing them the pathway into architecture that they can take those skills into a a career.
1: Mm. Uh, Simone, you've said that you're not really working in the architecture field. What was it that made you decide that you wanted to be involved more in the running of the practice rather than the running of an individual job on site?
2: Yeah, um, very interesting side for me. When I was working in South Africa In a small architectural firm, as I had said, you know, we worked from doing the technical drawings all the way to being on site on my own. I was working on a very big project. I had three apartment blocks and 22 houses that I was kind of managing on my own um, and running with on site. What I really struggled with was the male dominated industry, specifically that side. I haven't really felt it that much here in New Zealand as times have obviously changed. Um, when I was there, I would essentially be sitting in a site meeting with all males. Older generation, you know, pretty much I was running the site meeting technically, and no one really respected that as a female, young female actually at the time. Um, and then when I was walking around in site, the labourers and the staff would stop working as I walked past, catcall, make comments, all that kind of thing. and. If I didn't respond, it actually made it worse. So I'd get back to the studio and I just felt so dirty. You know, number one, being on site's not not super fun sometimes. Um, And then just that whole experience really, I think tainted my view on architecture and being an architect or working in the architectural industry. Um, When we moved to New Zealand, I was just like, I'm done with the architectural industry. I don't want to be on site. I don't want to be on the same job for two years or however long, and ended up interviewing here at DGSE. And essentially it it gave me this unique opportunity to come in as their first administrative staff. I'd had the background in architecture and being able to come through and know what needs to be done, but not having to delve into the project specifically. So my plan and how I've kind of grown up within DGSE over the last six years is i know what i can do to help our architects our designers our technicians everyone along the way for them to be able to do their jobs better so if i can take this one task away from you or make your life easier on this side of the business then you're going to do a better job for our clients which in in the end that's what the goal is you know to have the best projects the best outcomes for our clients um at the end and so As I've kind of moved through that and now, I suppose, retrained into more of the administration and the people and the HR, you know, the the business side of the company, I've really started to fall back in love with the architecture um, and come full circle. I think here in New Zealand, it's been a very different experience, obviously compared to South Africa and specifically with diversity and inclusion um, in the construction industry in general. Um, it's been quite a journey. Um, I'm married to a contractor, so he's a project manager. So I feel like it, I'm, I'm very much fully in the construction industry. I, I can't really get away from it at this point. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that, that's, a, um, that's a task in itself, isn't it? Being married to a project manager. Oh. Fricky, <laughs> I imagine the arguments at dinner times... Over, over that, I'd, I'd, I
2: don't know how we survived. I mean, you do. They do say architects and and contractors don't really mesh, and yeah. and somehow we kind of just moan at each other about everything, and it works.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it's good that you're uh, you're in related professions, but not always not in the same profession. So, mm. yeah, uh, Mathawana, what about your um, your career? So once once you would actually got your degree and started out here. Mm. Um, Tell us about some of the first projects that you worked on in, in the industry
0: here. Yeah, um, so I, you know, again, probably a little bit different from, from your, um, the traditional career trajectory and career path, I started working in industry uh, end of my second year, start of third year, um, and so that was a bit of a struggle um, trying to balance both study um, and, and and work life. Um, but. Um, I work for uh, another company, uh, more sort of traditionally engineering sort of background. Um, I was very fortunate to get into that because I, I had a, a link in or had a contact. Uh, Rachel, she was a PM there, um, and, and a spot opened up for an architectural student. And so um, had sort of reached out to uh back, in there, back then and, and sort of asked around if anyone was interested. And so I put my hand up. Um, and got ready for an interview. Um, went in and it was quite funny because um, I remember I arrived um, in the office and Rachel, um, by chance, was just in the lobby and seen me. Um, and she was like, she had this big shock on her face because um, I had this big beard. But um, for the interview, I decided to shave it all off to, to look more um, presentable. Um, and Rachel was like, what have you done? Like, what have you done to your face? I was like, oh, I just, you know, had a shave. And she, was, and she was like, what she said to me was, um, you know, was, um, it has stuck for me, uh, with me since then, is that she said, if you shaved your bed to fit in, you know, it's, it's not gonna work. Like, it, it, it's sad, but um, to fit in, you have to be white here. And I think f- for me, that's kind of what sort of hit home. Um, I guess a lot of my, sort of earlier on in my career was um, even through my education, like Guy, you remember me as Maddy. In school um, and a lot of my peers at university um, know me as Maddie but Medi has got no correlation to, to Matamoana but I think kind of growing up it was a way for me to kind of um, pakeha myself um, to, to seem more uh, acceptable to my peers um, and so I guess that really sort of hit home with me when I showing up with a clean shaven face um, that, 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 that was you know one of the comments that was um, made at the time and so you know it was awesome um loved my time uh, that i was that i was working there but i just i felt like that there was a part of me um that was not quite myself um and i guess as part of my own self you know reflection and and, and journey um it wasn't until i'd sort of come to, to dgc design group stapleton Elliott, um and it took an american actually from baltimore um, who asked me what, what my name was, and i sort of said, yeah it was Maddie. Um And then he was like, um, he was, oh, what's that mean? And then that's when we got onto the conversation on, on what Matamwana was. And um, yeah, I guess to, to sort of go back and, and, and talk about, you know, what it was like uh, and what sort of projects um, I worked on uh, early on in my career. Um, with the previous practice, it was a lot more, uh, we did a lot of like corrections um, in prisons Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, that was a pretty kind of unique uh, experience, um, kind of dabbling into that sort of side of work. But um, having since moved to, to uh, Design Group Stapleton Elliott, um, had a lot of awesome opportunity um, in my early in my career to sort of work on social housing, um, which to me is, holds a special place, mm-hmm. um, being that I, I um, you know, obviously grew up um, in the system, and, and you know, I wouldn't change anything about uh, my upbringing. Um, I think what it taught me is um, is, is how can we live together, um, you know, even though it was a small house, you know, it was um, amazing, because all our family were there together. Um, and I think kind of reflecting on, and I know this is not where the question is going, but kind of reflecting on, you know, the, what's the future of housing in Aotearoa, It's I think we need to reimagine what it's like to live together. Um, and what that sort of manifests itself into, I'm not sure, um, but there are a lot of you know values and principles that we can sort of pick up on. So that was really awesome um, that I got to, to sort of work on that um, early on in my career.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Look, I think I think you're quite right that housing is is a crucial uh, factor for us to figure out how to make it work better in New Zealand, uh, not just for Pakeha or Maori mm-hmm. or Pacifica. But we've got to make it work for everybody. And and every community is different, and every family
0: within that community is different. This episode is proudly sponsored by Jib Plasterboard, your local plasterboard manufacturer. Jib Plasterboard offers a wide range of training programs and technical help for lining installation, fire resistance performance, noise control, wet area systems, and rigid air barrier solutions. Please call the Jib Helpline team on 0800 100 442 for technical support or register for a training session at jib.co.nz training and events.
1: It's always an uncomfortable thing to explore race, but I mean, both of you are are influenced by race. Mm. Um, uh, You, Mathwana, from your... Uh, from your own background, mm. but also you, Simone, coming from a place which has been racially divided for many years, and I'm not sure how often people talk to you about um, apartheid and, and that. You were probably born after
2: um, that. Towards the end of it, um, yeah. so 92 was when I was born, and it's obviously fully ended 94. Yeah. Um, it was. It's a big part of my upbringing. Um, obviously having parents, um, they w- grew through it, and then going to school where everything started to change quite slowly. When I came through, we were quite mixed race already by that point, but if I talked to like my husband or his sister, um, they were kind of the first uh, generation that um, mixed race people were coming through into the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting seeing it from the South African side because it's um, it was extreme. You know we went we went full tilt and how everything worked then how it's gone and how there's still such conflict and um such a divide in the people still mm. now um and then i look at it from new zealand side and i it, i was actually recently at a te Tiriti workshop and it was really interesting to actually understand the background of new zealand even more like really delve into it and understand how New Zealand's handed, handled things a lot different to other countries that were on like a similar path. Um, and so I think I'm ever evolving and learning and all I want to do is be able to do that, be able to learn and, and progress. Because if I just stayed back in my past of who I was and where I was, what was the point in moving to a new country, learning new languages um, and being part of a new culture? Um,
1: yeah. How's your te Trying. It is
2: coming along. <laughs> um, I think I find it a little bit more difficult because I, at school I studied an African language. Um, some people think, oh, South African, Afrikaans, um, that's kind of the given, but I was not. Um, was uh, Zulu? Or? Did Zulu, yeah. yes. Uh, and Zosa? No. <laughs> no not, not
1: speaking in the, in the clip. No, <laughs> the clip. no, it's very Which,
2: difficult. I'm very yeah. good at reading and writing it. Yeah. Uh, a little bit bad at yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. But I think when I came across to New Zealand, Tereo um, Māori is like the spelling and stuff looks very similar, but the pronunciation so different. Mm-hmm. So I'm often coming across to Māori and being like, how do I pronounce this? How do I say this? What are we trying to learn here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm, I've never been so invested in language like growing up in school, but now being in a country where I can learn and want to learn, it's been quite a big journey of that and I think I'm only really starting to get into it now. Um, so I think, yeah, next steps for me is a proper today course and then we'll kind of move, move through with it.
1: Yeah, fantastic, cool. Um, I wonder if, uh, if you could maybe just share a story um, about your um, about any particularly um, challenging time you've had, either either back in South Africa or here um, in Aotearoa, um in terms of a you know a project that you worked on which might have had some real challenges.
2: I obviously work more on the business side of the company, um, and with that, Design Group Stapleton Elliot has gone through a massive growth. When I started six years ago almost to the day, actually, Um, we were at about 40 staff members and I think we had only just opened up our third studio at that time. Over the last six years, we've grown to around 130 staff members with six different studios um, throughout New Zealand. And I kind of focus on this side of the business a bit more because when we were smaller, it was easy to maintain that company culture that was Uh, everyone wanted to be part of. Uh, Pulling recruits in was really easy. Um, Working with the staff, they love being here. We love spending time together. And as we've kind of grown over the last six years, we've somehow managed to maintain this incredible company culture. I always kind of put it down to like small company culture, even though we're at that like medium medium to large size now at the point we are. Um, But I do put it down to the way that our management interact with our staff um, how we each interact with each other and who we essentially bring into the company you know being diverse being inclusive really trying to pull us all together and um, I know our staff are on any given day it's not about just like coming to work doing the job and then leaving um, we want to know about each other's lives and what they did on the weekends but like more in depth and that we want to spend time together and 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 really be part of this team and so what a big challenge for me personally was kind of coming through this and really trying to maintain that culture as we've moved through and which obviously is very different to being on a project you know one project but I found this has been a project that's been going on for so long and now only continues you know who's to say that we're going to stop At this number, or stay at this number, or how we grow—you know—the market's on its own lens here, and with everything happening around us. Um, But that's been—I've really enjoyed this journey um, with the company and moving through. So I think on any given day, you know, I don't really—everything I'm doing is more in that lens of thinking about how it affects our people, and and how we're affecting our industry.
1: I think I think that's there's a lot of parallels to be made between uh, working on an architectural project mm. and working on an architectural project which is the growing of a firm. Yeah. yeah and the thing with a with a project on site is that normally at some stage it actually gets finished, yeah, and then you can dust your hands <laughs> yeah. and walk away and say, there, that's done, mm. and now look back and I'm really proud of it. Mm. That's the thing with the companies, you can't do that. It's always growing. Mm. there's always it's growing or well, sometimes getting smaller and that's yeah. just as hard to control when it shrinks when there's a downturn. Yeah. Um, trying to keep that sort of the company ethos going yes. through through all the changes that's one of the hard things to do.
2: It is and I mean I think you've also got a factor in how uh, society has been changing you know like even over the last six years you know how um, Aotearoa's architecture and construction industry has also been changing over this time and all the um, Carbon sustainable, you know, movements that we're going through as well. It all affects the company's growth and, and the culture that we form in it. Because if our staff don't believe in what we're doing, then why are they here? You know, what is the point of being them being part of this this journey or this life cycle? You know,
1: and and we've got further big changes coming up in in the in the winds. Um, yeah. For uh, you know, the more emphasis on carbon is going to be, I think, brought into. Legislation possibly next year, yes, and then even more than the following years after that. So, uh, the whole architectural and construction profession Mm. will have to change again, pivot again. You know, the fact where you know a a sustainable project nowadays is one that doesn't build, Mm. you know, the the most sustainable (laughs) building is the one that that's already there, yeah, yeah. Matwana, uh, your work um, is involved obviously uh, a wide range of clients here as well, so housing. Um, office and commercial, yeah. Uh, civic, um, are you working on any big public projects which perhaps might have a uh, an influence of, of the Pacific
0: around them? Yeah, so I'm um, you know, very very fortunate here that we um, at Design Group Stapleton Elliott we've got a, a really strong contingent of Pacific and Māori architects and designers. Um, one of my colleagues um, here will who will be well-known to the Wellington community is um, Karenia Fearnati. She's fantastic. Yeah, she is. It's amazing that um, you know we, we both studied together. It's, it's amazing that now we're in a position that we um, both working on the same projects because a lot of the time when she was at her previous practice, we would often be competing against each other on trying to win work. But um, um, it's been amazing now that uh, Karenia's here. Um, she's part of, as well as myself, um, our idea, which is our Indigenous design Rofu, made up of um, Pasifika and uh, Māori architects and designers across our multiple studios, Um, but Kirinia and I sort of really spearhead our, I guess, Pacific work, um, you know, where we are dealing with local community projects, Pacific projects, um, but as well as kind of um, reaching out beyond the reef of Aotearoa um, is that we are very lucky that we're working on Other projects that you know in Papua New Guinea, in uh, Suva, Fiji, um, and the Cook Islands, but um, I guess one of the the bigger projects is uh, with the American Samoa government, um, Mm -hmm. where we've been involved with um, three big master plan um, projects. And I I guess what was um, really interesting at the time um, of our um, RFP is that. listening to the client and their willingness to work with Pacific Architects. I think a lot of the time, especially with um, the American um, Samoa government, they tend to work with mainland architects um, or either mainland America or either from Hawaii. So there is a little bit of context uh, and knowledge of that in Hawaii, but listening to them sort of eager to work with Pacific because they haven't worked with Pacific uh, architects, unfortunately, it's uh, Karenia is Samoan, I'm, I'm Tongan, um, and so we can really um, take them on this journey in, in kind of opening up their eyes, um, to what they are capable of achieving. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, um, and when, when we harp on about this to them, is that, um, you know, you deserve good design, you know, um, it's not just um, something that all these great nations can have, you know, like even here in American Samoa which is, um, for myself has been a really interesting journey um, understanding the the culture and context of American Samoa I think is quite different um, from the other sort of Pacific countries around the, the region but for me that's really been um, I guess uh, what's been really enriching in terms of my involvement in the industry um, because um, the tricky thing is, is for me is kind of uh, understanding what it is to be uh, Pacific in Aotearoa. Um, often I am working on projects that are, um, um, delve into the to Ao Māori space, um, and though uh, I'm, I'm not you know, Māori myself, I'm not Tangata Whenua, I'm Tangata Mwana, um, a, lot of it, a lot of it sort of resonates with me. Um, and so I guess at, at the same time, is also tricky because uh, I'm not Tangata Whenua, um, what I tend to do in my work um, is whatever I can do to make space for when there are, you know, if there are the Finwa like there are, like we do have other colleagues and staff that are Maori, who can come into that space and do the work. And my role really then is to kind of make space and support them as best I can, um, whether it's within the company itself or with our clients and external clients, is to help people on this journey because it is a journey. um you know, there's this buzzword going around about co-design. You know, and and um, there's so many different um, avenues of co-design and, and spectrum of co-design. You know, from full-blown co-design to um, I guess the other the other end. So yeah, no, it's been a really, a really interesting um, journey for myself. Absolutely.
1: Mm. How do how do you think that um, Pacific influences affect things on site?
0: Yeah, I guess um, you know a lot of the. the Tikanga is, is I guess um, uh, an, an aspect that will play into it. Um, the the spec- the specificities um of it you know kind of vary across different um, Pacific nations um, and Pacific um, yeah. islands. Um, I thought I'd, I'd mention that I'm I'm also a part of a um, on the board for a Pacific Housing Trust um, who are. Uh, Fantastic. A Pacific organisation um, who are looking to deliver, at the moment, up to three hundred homes for Pacifica families, home ownership and affordable in Poriro. Um And so that's been a really interesting um, journey because everything is Pacific about it. Um, you know, from the way that we um, that that the RFPs are sort of um, written. Um, you know, to the to the consultants that they are, are looking to work with. Um, so that one is is a really again another interesting one. It's um, the concept is is trying to reimagine the Pacific Village in Aotearoa. Mhm. That, that's,
1: that's a great uh, great task to have mm-hmm. ahead. Question for you, here. and I'll start off with you, Matwana, mm-hmm. Is um, I wonder if you could talk to us uh, just about some advice on, on what you would give somebody who is just starting off in the profession in the construction mm-hmm. industry, whether they want to be an architect or on site or a, uh, building a surveyor or an engineer, any, any any advice about how best to
0: tackle it? Mm, yeah, I I think you know, and, and, and with this question, um, guy, I kind of look at what would I tell my younger self if I could, um, and like put simply, it would be to just to believe in yourself and bring your honest self to your mahi, um, because I felt like you know there's a big chunk of my life where. You know, I was matamwana outside of the office and I was meri inside the office and in the industry um, and even in the classroom. So I think, man, I kind of think back to myself and like, man, imagine what, you know, what would be different if I was matamwana through my entire life. Um, So I think it's just being true to yourself. And I know that's hard at times um, because, you know, often it's not. You know, there's not the, the right sort of safety within the various um, practices or firms or companies that you're working at to, to do that. But I think times are changing. Um, and so that that would probably be my advice. Cool.
2: And I think there are people out there that do the same as me. You know, you go into a, a degree that you feel is right, is what you're wanting to do. And I actually ended up not enjoying the design side and, and really enjoyed the technical side, the drawing, um, being more, more involved on yeah, the technical side. Um, and it's quite funny now because we've uh, recently hired someone within our business support team that's kind of followed a similar journey. She also studied, um, did her bachelor's, ended up starting her master's. Um, and now I kind of feel has like come through on the same kind of journey as me. So even though you're not you're not on the straight line of I'm going to be an architect, or, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be an engineer in the industry, it's, there's so many options along the way. And I think um, my parents are probably really happy I'm at least putting my degree to some, some worth here. <laughs> and at the moment, I'm pretty much working across like bids and submissions, marketing, our people and culture financing the studios the maintaining and the running i mean events planning so from my side it's what i love about it is that not every day is the same i come into the office and it will be we've got deadlines happening it's absolutely chaotic and i love it i thrive on the chaos to be honest um and i think that's what i've i've uh, struggled with i suppose along the ways Uh, about four and a half years ago um, we had a daughter I think working in whatever industry you are and you know working as a working mom I've tried it all I've tried part-time I've tried full-time I've tried many variations of that and I kind of find for me and everyone's so different in this is that I prefer to work full-time I kind of do more than full-time anyway I think most people end up doing anyway Um, But I'm still struggling with that, like, I've got a young daughter who also wants my time, and a family, you know, like, uh, my husband's also there, (laughs) I've got to give him some time as well, but I also really love my job, I love being here, and I love being part of the chaos and and contributing to, like, a bigger cause of what we're doing here, you know. Um, I'm always just juggling with everything, you know, the guilt of everything, so...
1: I don't it's think strange. you should feel guilty about, about it. You're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> I'm you're, trying. You're, 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 in fact, you're doing two fantastic jobs. <laughs> one being a mum, and, and one being running this office and, and keeping a whole bunch of the third one, keeping a whole <laughs> bunch of architects in line, which in I line. know is a difficult thing to do. <laughs> I'll just say uh, thank you once again, uh, Mathwina. Fantastic uh, to have you along here, and thank you, Simone. Uh, been really good to have the two of you here.
0: Thank you. Awesome.
1: Thanks, guys. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building.